it knocked me out. My guys saw me get hit as I was running to them and just crumple and crash headfirst into the ground and they thought I was dead. Welcome to the Vince Del Monte Podcast Show, where each week we bring you the raw and real experiences, lessons, and timeless principles every man needs to master the five M's of manhood. By sharing conversations with the world's most successful people pursuing the five M's, you'll build muscle faster, achieve a winner's mindset, increase your money, dominate your mission, and go the distance with your marriage. My name is Vince Del Monte, entrepreneur, author, pro fitness model, and father. And I've helped tens of thousands of men transform their bodies and lives through muscle, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Today is the first for the Vince Del Monte podcast where we have retired Navy SEAL Jason Redman, author of The Trident and expert at helping men and women and organizations to lead themselves out of failure, crisis, and adversity. For the past 10 years, he's founded the Combat Wounded Coalition and Wounded Wear, two nonprofits dedicated to inspiring combat wounded veterans. And I recently heard Jason share his story at my Empire Mastermind, and he opened up by um, saying something to the extent of everybody in life at some point is going to walk into an ambush, some type of catastrophic event that is going to rock your world and have this impact. And then he said something that um, really gave me the chills, and um, I'm anticipating it happening again today on the calls. He, he's, he goes into his story, and he said this, the majority of people who walk this earth have never wrestled with an enemy combatant in the deep blackness of life. And um, in just a moment, I'm going to introduce Jay, and he's going to tell you his whole story. Uh, but before we do that, if you're new, I just want to remind you that the Vince Del Monte podcast show is the only podcast in the world that's dedicated to helping men develop the five M's of manhood, muscle, mindset, money, mission, and marriage. And in each episode, it's our mission to avoid skimming the surface but to scuba dive and give you simple, no-nonsense insights and takeaways to maximize a few of the five M's. I have a feeling we're going to touch on a lot of them today so that you're becoming a better man because we believe that when men start living large, everyone around them start living large too. And this podcast is free. It's likely always going to be free of advertising. I don't see my podcast as a moneymaker, but as a straight-up value exchange, an opportunity for me to learn from our guests and for you to learn from their inspiring stories and experiences. And with that said, uh, if you could leave this podcast a five-star rating or a review, it would be awesome. And if you could share this on social media and tell your friends, I'd be extremely grateful. Hey, listen, if you're new here, I'd go back and listen to the first five episodes laying down the five M's of manhood so that you get a really uh, solid understanding around why this podcast exists and why so many people tune in and why it's having an impact. So without uh, further ado, let's introduce our guest today. His name is Jason Overcome Redman and Jason is a retired Navy SEAL and the author of the best-selling book, The Trident, The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader. The book is incredible. It's a study in leadership and accountability, but also tells of his gripping story of surviving a firefight, which I'm going to let him share in a moment. 
Now, hey, fast forward a few dozen surgeries. He has founded a nonprofit clothing company, Coalition, uh, published the incredible book, incredible book, The Trident. And he's now, as I just discovered, working on a new book, uh, which uh, I'm sure he's going to tell us about today. And via his writing, his speaking, uh, he's helping hundreds, if not thousands of wounded veterans around the world. And I know he plans on um, having even a bigger impact with his upcoming brand new coaching program, The Overcome Army. And I like to just quickly add how we met. I think it's really important for you to know why uh, we're doing this right now. I personally connected with Jason at Craig Ballantyne's and Bedros Koulian's Empire Mastermind. And uh, I was kind of sitting off near the back of the room and to the side of the room. And and I always kind of just take note of like how people engage in these meetings. And um, and, and Jay just, uh, you know, definitely stood out, you know, in a couple ways. One, I, I kind of like to describe this as seeing him in action because these in these business meetings, there's a, there's a lot of eagles in the room. There's a lot of heavy hitters in the room and, uh, it, it can, um, you know, reveal kind of your, uh, true colors, if you will. And I just watched him asking questions. I watched him raise his hand. I watched him accept feedback. I watched him engage with the other attendees. I watched him create value. And on the lunch hour, uh, Bedros brought his whole team down uh, from um, the Fit Body Bootcamp headquarters. There must the room was packed. Every there was just standing room only, and um, he just captivated us with his story. I, you know, pulled him aside. I think at the end of the day, and said, "Hey, man, I'd be an honor to have you come on my podcast and just share what um what I had the opportunity to hear today." So, hey, listen, I am super excited. Uh, I'm super excited about this conversation that we're recording for you today. And uh, I know we're covering a number of his favorite topics such as overcoming and leading. And uh, there's no doubt this is going to be filled with loads of gems uh, to thrive in your personal life, professional life. And I know uh, I'm even going to cue him up on parenting. So uh, (laughs) Jason, welcome to the show, my man. Vince, thanks for having me on, brother. Yeah, yeah. This is, and thank you for an amazing intro. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Um, hey, listen, I, I believe our great stories just start with like just getting right to the thick of it. And uh, I'm sure we'll loop back around and hear a bit more of your story. But uh, I know what a lot of uh, listeners would really just kind of love to hear. Bring us back to the night you were engaging with the, uh, as you described, with the enemy. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, kind of an amazing de- deployment. Uh Combat, war, all these different things, they kind of have different cycles, ebbs and flows, just like business does. And at that point, when I got into Iraq in the um, spring of 2007, we were at the height of what we called the Ambar Awakening at that time. I was working in the Al-Ambar province, really, really heavy fighting. And Ambar was the heart of the Al-Qaeda insurgency in Fallujah and Ramadi and Habania. And uh, my troop was tasked with hunting mid-level and high-level Al-Qaeda and insurgent leaders. And we had been very successful that deployment from <clears throat> the spring throughout the summer of 2007, taking down some very uh, violent and, and deadly people. And there's one individual we had been hunting all deployment, and he was the number one leader for all of Al-Qaeda in the Ambar province. And we really wanted him for a number of reasons. One, because obviously he was the top dog. But we wanted him because on the very first mission of the deployment in April of 2007, uh, our guys, I actually wasn't on this mission. It was a, a joint mission between my assault troop and a assault troop that had been there 
up to that point, we were doing what we call a turnover operation. And on that mission, uh, they got into a really fierce firefight and several guys were wounded. One of my guys was wounded and, uh, and uh, we lost a guy. Petty Officer Clark Schwedler was killed on that mission. So all deployment, we wanted this guy. We wanted payback. So fast forward to September of 2007, we got the call that night. Hey, this guy is going to be in a uh, specific time and location. And that's something we call a time-sensitive target. We have information that we have to act on in the moment because you have a narrow window of time for that person to be there. So we, uh, we grabbed all our stuff and we were one week from going home. Uh, literally we had packed everything up. The only thing we had was our gear we needed just to execute missions like this and jumped on the helicopters, flew to the mission. And because of the timeliness of this mission, we ended up landing directly on the target. So kind of similar to what you see in the movies, although, um, it just was what it was. So we landed on this target. We make this entry and uh, nobody was there. Uh, kind of a letdown. We were really excited to get this guy. A lot of anticipation, a lot of anxiety because, uh, you know, leaders of this caliber, they roll very deep with a very uh, stacked security team, often as big as 15 to 20 individuals. And uh, we really expected to encounter some fierce resistance. So got there. Nothing happened. We found a lot of evidence that they had recently been there, but we didn't find the leader. We didn't find anything else. So we thought it was going to be a quiet night. Hmm. Stood my team down. We were just kind of hanging out and talking on the porch when uh, our snipers told me, hey, we've got some movement on another building about 150 yards away. It's about 3 a.m. in Iraq at this time. And there is a curfew in Iraq at night during the war. Uh, and if you saw people moving 90% of the time, they were not good people. And if you saw people moving after a <laughs> helicopters had flown in and we had used explosives to breach doors and all this stuff, and you got people moving after that that are close by you, you got about a 99.9% .9 chance that they're bad guys. Mm -hmm. So um, my boss came up to me and said, hey, I want you to maneuver on these guys. They, they, we saw several guys run out of this house and hide in this vegetation. I took my team, maneuvered up behind these individuals. And uh, long story short, we walked directly into a very well-executed Al-Qaeda ambush. Uh, the individuals that we saw leave the house were the last part of the security detail for uh, our leader we were going after. And he had left the building that we initially took down and he had moved to that other house about 150 yards away. Mm. And we walked right into uh, approximately, we estimate about 15 men, multiple machine guns, a very well orchestrated ambush, something we call an L ambush, meaning they have two, two bases of fire. So you actually have a crossfire going, which is just devastating. Uh, and, and I tell you, I spent my entire adult life in the SEAL teams learning how to execute ambushes like this. And this was the first time I'd ever been on the receiving end of an ambush of that caliber. And it is an absolutely devastating and overwhelming feeling to have that much firepower coming at you. Um, when large caliber bullets like this are going by, you know, imagine, if you will, a bullet that's almost the size of your thumb. 
and and it's traveling, you know, 3,000 feet per second. It's going faster than the speed of sound. So it actually pushes the air out of the way as it travels through. So you can feel it as it goes by. And then you'll actually hear the crack of the bullet um, after it goes by because it's moving faster than the sound. And, and to feel this all around you as you're standing there in the middle of this firefight, I had guys that were getting hit and it didn't take long. It was only, it was only maybe 30, 30 seconds, 45 seconds into that firefight. When I was first hit, I was stitched across by body armor. Um, I took two rounds in the left elbow. Um, so one, one in the bicep, and then I took one in the forearm that I thought in the moment actually took my arm off. Um, it deadened all my nerves. It literally felt like, it felt like an electric shock, like a lightning bolt had struck me in the arm, traveled up my arm into the base of my skull and just slammed me in the back of the head. And uh, so my immediate thought was, this isn't good. You just got your arm shot off and I'm still taking fire. And I've got guys around me who are shooting and it's my job uh, to lead, uh, to, to call out to them and to figure out how we're going to fight our way out of this vicious ambush we found ourselves in. So I started yelling out, to our guys. Um, and when you do that, unfortunately in combat, a lot of times sounds attract attention and someone who's yelling out commands is usually a leader. And anybody that's been on the battlefield long enough will shoot at that individual when they do that. And that's exactly what happened. I felt both guns turn on me again, both machine guns. And at this point I got stitched across the body armor. I took rounds off the helmet. I had my left night vision tube shot off. I was taking rounds off my gun. I turned around realizing I was in a really bad situation to look at where I could go to find something that could stop bullets. And to my dismay, there was nothing but thousands of yards of empty Iraqi desert. Uh, two of my guys have now been shot and they had fallen back to the only point of cover we had, which was a large tractor tire, um, kind of like a great big John Deere tractor tire. And they were hiding behind that. And thankfully that's, um, dense enough, that rubber's dense enough to stop those bullets. So I saw that and I started to try and make a beeline to that tractor tire to get to them, to get some cover from, you know, this, this maelstrom of, <laughs> of bullets that were coming at us. And I caught a round in the face at this point from behind it, but I caught it right behind the ear. It traveled through my face, exited the right side of my nose, taken off the majority of my nose, blew out my right cheekbone, uh, broke what was left of it, kicked it out to the right. It traveled directly under my eye. It vaporized my orbital floor. Uh, it broke all the bones above my eye. My eye dropped down in this newfound hole in my face. It broke the uh, head of my jaw and it shattered the rest of my jaw down to about my chin and it, it knocked me out. My guys saw me get hit as I was running to them and just crumple and crash headfirst into the ground and they thought I was dead. So... Um, it's just a, uh, <laughs> not a good situation to be in. Yeah. Oh my and God. when I, uh, <laughs> when I came to, I was laying flat on my back, I guess I had rolled over and I was laying flat on my back and literally this fierce firefight was happening directly over me. So my guys were about 10 yards back behind this tractor tire and the enemy was about five yards uh, in front of me. The distance was only about 50 feet, so maybe 10 yards. Uh, and I'm laying right in the middle and literally bullets are traveling directly over me about eight inches above me. 
And machine guns actually send a round called a tracer round. Every fifth round is a tracer round. Uh, so it literally glows as it goes through the air. It looks like a red laser beam. And I was watching these red laser beams travel directly over me thinking, this sucks. Um, don't, don't sit up. Yeah. Uh, and then this is where things get really interesting. And this is something I talk to people about when I make correlations between life ambushes and real world ambushes. Oftentimes we have to be patient to allow people to help us. Um, or maybe you don't have the ability to help yourself in the moment. That's exactly what happened. I realized I was super pinned down. I, I thought I'd lost my arm. I'm shot in the face. I'm totally messed up and mangled. But I knew that if I stood up and tried to get back, I would get shot and killed. And I knew that my guys could not run out in this gunfire to save me. They had to win this gunfight first. And that's exactly what they proceeded to do. Uh, my team leader, who I owe my life to, uh, just a tremendous individual, Al Joliet. Uh, Al, in a lulling fire, ran forward and got me and dragged me back to that tire. And he got a tourniquet on my arm and that unequivocally saved my life. Uh, and then we fought back for about uh, 35 to 40 minutes. Uh, thankfully, we pushed something called an AC-130 gunship, an amazing aircraft, a feat of uh, just uh, a firepower from the sky. And we brought in fire missions on this enemy, the closest fire missions in the entire Iraq war, which enabled us to get out of there and survive. So uh, just not a good place to be, but Vince, I'll tell you one interesting fact before we drive forward. And that is this, since that happened 11 years ago, I have come to understand and I've come to appreciate some interesting facts about people and about ambushes. So I'm sure everybody listening right now is just kind of dumbfounded listening to that story and how vicious and and violent it was. Um, And what we call is that area in the middle of the ambush, we call it the X. We call it the kill zone. And people have a natural tendency to freeze and be so overwhelmed in that moment that they will just not react and they will die yeah. on that spot. And the enemy actually uses as much firepower as possible. So do we. I mean, the SEAL teams or any you know, successful combat unit will try and do the same thing. We want to so overwhelm you who are on the X in the kill zone that you're not willing to fight back. Yeah. But you have to because the only way you can survive is by getting off the X. You have to get out of that kill zone, whether you attack into it, whether you blow out of it, whether you fall back. And that's exactly what me and my guys did. And I knew that. I knew that fact. And, uh, And it saved my life. But I watched so many people out there who are in what I call life ambushes. So they feel the same way. It may not be bullets, but it's all the It's all the crisis and mishap and failures and just adversity that rains down on us in these crazy hard moments, such as a business failure, such as an injury, such as the loss of a loved one, a divorce, whatever it is, people sit on the X Mm, and and they wait too long to save themselves. And the longer you sit on the X, the longer you're going to be injured and the longer it's going to take for you to survive if you can survive at all. So, uh, We got off the X, and that is exactly what I talk about to everybody out there, how critical it is when life ambushes happen to you, you got to lead yourself off the X. Man, we're going to talk about the X a bit more, and um, man, it's just a fascinating image. Um, 
I'm just really curious before we, you know, transition, I can't help but ask, like, what was one of the most um, shocking thoughts you had? And and I feel like still even mentioning this um, story, but I have to like try and when I got, I got hit by a truck when I was 16 during a triathlon. And when I got hit, I, I stood up and grabbed my bike and said, I have to finish the race. And looking back on it, I was like, why did I think I had to finish the race? I'm curious to know, like, what was, was there a certain thought you had that was just like, why did I just think that? Like in the moment of being put down a situation you never been in before, were there any like interesting thoughts that just got unlocked in your brain? Well, my immediate thought was, uh, I got to fight back. Okay. I have to get off the X. So what in the military, we call that immediate action. We do a lot of what we call immediate action drills. So we train to be caught in an ambush. Now I had never been caught in one like that in my entire life, but we trained. So my first thought was, how do we get out of this? And, and also I was the leader. So it's my job to get my guys out of there and figure out what we're going to do. I need to know where they are. I need to know how we're laying down fire. So some of that is um, the more you do something over and over again, the more it becomes uh, a natural thought process versus a reactive thought process where you're totally overwhelmed and you don't know what to do. So I'd, I'd, I'd love to say that for you, Vince, in that moment when you got hit by that car, some part of you already had this, I have to get up and keep going no matter what happens mentality. I call that the overcome mindset. So somewhere in your upbringing or somewhere in your past, something within you or maybe your family helped build that in you. Hmm. Not everybody has that. You know, some people immediately think when they're injured, oh my God, I'm injured. I, I need to lay here and do nothing. Um, obviously, you know, there are certain times when we are overwhelmed with those moments. So that was my first thought. I will tell you, as this firefight raged on and I realized that there was nothing I could do, I was totally pinned down. I had to wait for my guys to win the firefight. And it was at that point, I kind of started thinking through all these, um, my life, uh, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, I was dying and I knew it. I was losing a lot of blood and I was kind of going through all the physiological effects of losing that much blood. Uh, the doctors told me that I lost close to three units of blood, which the average human has about four to five units. I'm on the smaller end of the spectrum, so I probably only have about four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I lost three and, uh, and I could feel it. I knew it. I, I got to where I couldn't feel my extremities. It, every breath was, I felt like I, had, I was running wind sprints for a hundred miles and I just couldn't get a breath. It got harder and harder to think. And, and my final thoughts were of my family, um, how much I wanted, I would have given anything in that moment to just go back and tell my wife and kids how much I, I love them. Uh, my um, my, I, my kids at that time, my son was eight and my daughters were five and three. Mm. And it is an incredibly melancholic moment, uh, to think that this is it, this is the end. And you don't get to tell the people you love goodbye. Uh, and, and, and to look back on your life and say, man, I wish I had done this. So there were all the things left undone. There were also the things that I had regrets on that I wish I hadn't done. So that's really, um, that's really a lot of the thoughts. And then the final thought that made the difference was I, uh, you know, I called out to God and I said, you know, Lord, give me the strength to go home. I need to see my family. I need to tell them 
that I need to be with them. So give me the strength. And, you know, I, I don't know what different people's religious affiliations are. For me, instantly I had strength. Huh. And, uh, and I focused on this thought pattern of stay awake to stay alive. And just I placed it in my head that I didn't care what happened. I was going to show up awake at that operating room. Now, you know, doctors tell me with the amount of blood I lost, it, you know, that's a miracle. Um, but no matter what, I think that that's important that in these crisis moments, you have to figure out what is your purpose? What is going to drive you forward? What's going to give you that overcome mindset? No kidding. Man, man, I'm speechless. Uh, so I know you talked a lot about um, in your talks how this was a, a benchmark for your life. And uh, this this led to a lot of great things. I'm sure some, um, I'm also curious to know some of the other emotions that emerged that may not have been, you know, looking at this as an opportunity or a blessing, you know, because I assume not all veterans come out of these these situations and become authors and speakers and leaders like you have. So yeah, maybe let's start talking about how this day became uh, a benchmark for a new direction. And, and I don't know what the timeline that, that all unfolded was. But, yeah, take us there now. Yeah, you know, and I'd love to tell you that it happened overnight, you know, but it, that's not true. I mean, with everything, there is a journey. There's an evolution. I will say one of the interesting things about this ambush and and I look at it as in two phases so you have the enemy ambush that obviously created all the devastation that it did but I survived that only to step into this secondary life ambush and the secondary life ambush was the severity of my injuries mm. um, the the it ended up taking over four years to put me back together mm. it ended up ending my military career uh, or well let me rephrase that it ended up it ended my operational career as a SEAL. I stayed in the military and finished my career, but I was never able to go back and be a tactical SEAL shooter on the ground ever again because of my injuries. Mm. So going through that um, was hard. I will not lie. I mean, I had laid out this path for myself where someday I wanted to be the commander of a SEAL team. I was getting ready to go to a higher tier SEAL team. Um, these were all things that I was trying to do. And suddenly, in the blink of an eye, all that was was turned around um, or just thrown out the window. Yeah. So the benchmark became, I began to realize that you control your destiny. Mm -hmm. And, and, and here was the interesting fact about that moment. A lot of people are amazed how quickly I was able to launch from that. And I will tell you, it was only probably two weeks that I kind of came to this mindset of, I don't care. I'm just going to drive forward and be positive. I'm going to lift others up. I'm going to be relentless in my positivity. And I am just going to overcome to the fullest extent I have possible. And all of that directly came to a massive failure I had suffered in my career several years earlier. I had made some big mistakes as a young military leader and I was knuckleheaded and I was arrogant and just wasn't willing to humble myself to listen to other people. And, uh, and it was so bad, it almost got me kicked out of the military. And I reached a point where they were even questioning my tactical abilities as a SEAL when I was going down this road. And, and to have gone through this training and to have earned the Trident, the SEAL emblem, you know, it is, it is, uh, it's everything to be able to do that, the amount of sacrifice. 
So to lead myself out of that life ambush that had happened several years earlier and and really rebuild who I was and earn back the trust of my guys to be able to lead them and the trust of the leadership within our community was the hardest road I ever walked. Mm. So by going through that really hard journey, mm. by the time I got to this enemy ambush several years later, I was literally rock solid ready for it. And this is a big principle I talk to a lot of people about this idea, will you be ready for that moment mm. when it comes? Thankfully for me, I was ready. Mm. So after only, a, you know, a couple of weeks of kind of being on the X and figuring out this second part of the life ambush, I launched from it. And it literally became the benchmark for my life that everything I did from that point forward, I was just going to try and lift others up and help others and lead and continue to lead myself and stay positive. Was there a guide, a conversation? Was there, um, did someone speak into your life or like where, where did that shift happen? Cause I'm not, I assume not everybody who goes through this comes out the other side with, you know, you know, clear focus, a direction, a path. So, you know, I'm kind of curious, does everyone have this ability no. to overcome and like what, what, what was the event or what triggered this? So absolutely. Everybody has the ability to overcome. Um, you know, some people have a tougher grit and resiliency about them, uh, but the overcome mindset can be grown. You obviously had a level of the overcome mindset when you jumped up and was like, I need to get back on my bike. <laughs> I had to finish. <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, I paid for this race. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Hey, man, <laughs> I don't care that that truck hit me. <laughs> yeah. We'll deal with this later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, it can absolutely be built. It, it is easier to build the mindset prior to being in a major life ambush. It's much harder when we're in our darkest times to muster new purpose, new strength, new resiliency. So that's why I encourage people, you know, there are things you have to do to get you ready for these moments, but it's never too late. And really what you have to do is in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of these life storms, you have to figure out what your new purpose is. For some people, it takes time. Uh, and, and it really relates to the severity of the, the ambush, if you will. Um, you know, the loss of a child probably is the greatest mm. catastrophic event I've seen mm. on people. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of them. I mean, I look at grievous injury to you, grievous injury to a loved one, mm. sexual trauma is mm. very high. But mm. the loss of a child, it just kind of defies how the world is supposed to work. Mm. And for some people, that journey takes longer. Mm. But finding that purpose and finding this idea of this is how I can lead myself out of it is critical. So for me, what happened is when I was in the hospital, I had some individuals that came into my room and they started talking about what a pity it was uh, that we send these young men and women off to war and they come back just broken and battered and, you know, they're never going to be the same. They're probably never going to be successful in society because of these horrible things they've been through and the horrible things they've seen. Um, they thought I was sleeping and I was just kind of drifting off as they had this conversation. So mm. when they left, mm. I told my wife, never again, oh. no one's ever going to come into my room and feel sorry for what happened to me because I refuse to feel sorry for myself. Oh. And, and, there was like this stream of consciousness, because I'll be honest, there was not a whole lot of thought that went into this, but I couldn't talk. I was traked and wired shut. And I told my wife, I said, give me my notebook. And I wrote out this 
sign, this proclamation, it said, attention to all who enter here. If you're coming to this room with sadness or sorrow, don't bother. The wounds that I received, I got in a job that I love, doing it for people that I love, defending the freedom of a country I deeply love. I'll make a full recovery. What is full, that is the absolute utmost physically, I have the ability to recover. And then I will push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you're about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you are not prepared for that, go elsewhere. And we signed it, the management, and uh, I told my <laughs> wife, <laughs> I told my wife to put it on the door, and nobody was allowed in my room until they read that. So for me, I just want to give that, you an, an applause for that, man. I mean, I think we gave you a standing one at, at Empire, but that's just tremendous. Like, oh gosh, that's I had ch- tingles the whole time you said that. That's so what a spirit. Thank you. Ah, brother, thank you. And, and, and it became my catalyst. I mean, it went on to motivate and inspire hundreds of thousands. I mean, maybe we're up to millions now, but it doesn't matter because it, 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 it became my purpose. It was this proclamation that I put on the door, the sign on the door. And for me, when times got hard, I looked at that and I said, hey, you're that guy. You need to keep going. And don't, and dude, I had hard days. Mm. I had days I majorly struggled. I will tell you what, I remember one day I woke up at home and, and just, uh, it was just a really hard day. Um, I was in a lot of pain. Uh, anybody who's ever had a trach, it sucks. I'm, I've got rods and pins out of every orifice. I've lost, I was down to about 120 pounds, um, from the amount of weight loss. Um, and I bawled my eyes out. And I remember thinking, is this the man that I'm going to be? And, uh, and, you know, but I pulled myself up. I said, dude, get up. You got to go. You know, you're not going to be that man. You're going to be the man that overcomes, mm. you know, regardless of what you look like in the future. You've got kids to lead. You've got a wife mm. to lead. And, and, and there are people now who look to you as a spirit of overcoming. You know, this was after the sign on the door. So that became my purpose and motivation to keep going. And, and there's something else here too. Like you're really speaking to identity and who you wanted to be. And um, when, it sounds like you got clear on what your who was going to be. And that allowed you to dis- decide how you were going to, you know, function and operate and uh i wanted to kind of you know transition to uh you know what are the identities like what is the identity that a man needs to find confidence in as a way to drive their decisions so one of your who's was i'm going to overcome you know uh, jason redmond overcomes that was an identity that gave you strength and uh maybe just talk about that identity of like you know it's because it, I've on, I've gone through phases in business where like things are in growth mode and it's easy, but then all of a sudden you're like in a pivot mode or you're in a you know um, competition comes in or you're scrambling or every, you know you get all these setbacks and you're like all of a sudden whoa you're like that 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 motivational post you're about to post is all of a sudden like I can't even type this out right now because I'm not feeling this anymore. So like how do you how do you embrace that identity even on the days where you just describe where like. I don't even feel like a man, like, like, how do you hold on to that and allow that to get, you know, just talk me through that. It's a lot like, um, your purpose 
becomes your focal point. So once you know where you want to go, and that's why I think this is so powerful. I don't care who you are. If you're listening to this right now, someday you can be who you want to be uh, within, you know, within this, the limitations. I'm never going to be an NFL lineman. You know, I'm five foot eight and I weigh 170 pounds, you know, but I can be a leader. I can change people. I can motivate and inspire people. I can be an amazing businessman. All these things because that is where I said I was going to go. And that is the path I've set. So I've identified that destination. And from there, now it becomes a compass Mm -hmm. and it becomes a course that I've set. So I know where I'm going and I've set the course to get there. So when you are navigating along in real world navigation or whether it's in life navigation, you're going to have problems. You're going to encounter bridges that are not in service and you're going to have to take a detour. Mm. But guess what? When you take that detour, your compass keeps you back on course so that you don't get lost. Mm. And it's in those hardest times when it's so critical to have identified where am I going to go that you're always able to look back to, oh, that's right. This is my purpose. This is my destination. So as a man, you are a leader. Uh, you know, we're, we're running into a time where I'm a little frustrated with uh, the demasculinization, the demasculinization mm-hmm. of men. And uh, I don't see men as being this, oh, you know, you're subservient to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woman, my wife is one of the strongest, most yeah. amazing people. And we make an incredible team. But a man, we are designed differently. We are designed as fighters. We are designed as leaders. And if you need to, you should have the ability to step up and lead and fight and do the things that you need to do to protect your family and take care of them. Now, thankfully, we live in a day and age where hopefully you don't have to fight, you know, physically fight. But where you need to fight is to be able to take care of your family. You need to fight in business. You need to fight for what you stand for. You need to fight for your beliefs. So I love Vince, what you had, your, you know, your five principles, muscle, mindset, money, mission, and marriage. All those things define you as a man, your ability to provide for your family. I had a great leader that once said, boys do what they want to, men do what they have to. I love it. And I think that's what's missing today. Men need to understand this is my purpose. This is my def- destination to, you know, lead my family, lead my friends, be an example, to be a physical example, to be to be mentally strong, to have that overcome mindset, to be an emotional example that you're, you know, emotional leader that you don't fly off the handle and you're an idiot, mm-hmm. uh, to be to be a social leadership example, uh, you know, to, where you're taking care of your family, you're making money, you you surround yourself with good people. And you have a great marriage. You set that example. So that's where our men need to go. And this idea of you can't be strong or, you know, you can't train or I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I don't buy it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, neither do I. And, um, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later because, uh, you know, having kids and being further ahead that path than me, I'm really curious to know what you're arming them with, what tools you really want them to uh, carry into their adult life. So we're going to come back to parenting and and how you're helping them stand up against our, our silly society in many ta- instances. But, you know, I ta- let's talk about a few more of the identities, you know. So there's the overcome. And, um, you know, what are the other, like, leadership? Like, talk to me about, like, you, you're, you're at the, in the, like, in the military. Like, I've, I've, like, you were operating with, you know, 
on the front lines and you're working with, you know, um, guys who are at the top of leadership. And I want to know like the common traits amongst the leaders you looked up to. Like, you know, what are the, if I want to level up my leadership in 2019, you know, I want to start leading myself. How can I do that? You know, let's start actually giving me some specific areas that I need to lead first before I can even start thinking about leading others in. Like if we don't have Absolutely. this straight, like Vince, we can't go to, we can't move on. Let's, let's get this straight first before we go here. Yeah, I love it. So, so often I get asked to come into companies and speak on leadership. Uh, my topics always are leadership and, and resiliency, the overcome mindset. And, you know, those things each, you want to know how you get off the X? It's those two things. You've got to lead yourself off the X and you've got to be able to deal with that adversity. So when we get into leadership, Oftentimes, people will bring me in and they'll say, hey, Jay, help me be a better leader. Uh, and, and the first question I always ask them is, how well do you lead yourself? Mm. And a lot of times, I can, in a second, if they, uh, if they avoid that question and they go, no, 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 it's not about me. I want to be a better leader of other people. Mm. Then I know he got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. You missed it. <laughs> yeah, you, you missed the point. Um, I find it fascinating because the publishing company did not want to allow me to write in the subtitle, lead yourself. They were like, no, that's stupid. It's idiomatic. People don't want to, they don't need to know how to lead themselves. They want to know how to lead others. And I just laughed. I was like, you guys are totally missing the point. Really? Um, Weird. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, sure, you know, sure, sure. It's, it's yeah. marketing. That message is all throughout the book. Yeah. But uh, it was just fascinating to me that People can't see that. So there are three rules of leadership that I teach and live by. Number one, you have to lead yourself. This is the most foundational, basic principle of leadership. And so many people miss it. They get so focused on leading others, specifically within their company or leading things, that they forget to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. and Or they just choose not to take care of themselves. And your ability to lead yourself directly reflects and leads to rule number two, your ability to lead others. So if you're effectively leading yourself, you've got structure and discipline in your life. You set the example in in all these different areas. And I'm going to talk about the the areas you have to lead yourself. Uh, People automatically want to follow you because you're somebody to follow. They're like, wow, that guy's squared away. I want to follow him. You have given them a reason uh, to follow you. Yeah. And that is leadership by example at its heart and soul. There are five key areas that I teach on that you have to lead yourself. And uh, they're called the Pentagon of Peak Performance. And I have an online course that's going to be launching soon on this program on this topic. But those five key areas are physical leadership is the base level. You know, I love the circle I'm in now with you guys and Begdros and Craig and Joe Marion and and Ed Milet, because all these guys are so focused on fitness. Grant Cardone, another one, because they understand if this machine that you run around in fails, none of the other stuff matters. And in this day and age, with all this information overload we get, trying to raise kids, trying to run a business, trying to do all these things, it's even more critical to take care of the machine because you need massive amounts of energy to be able to do all the things you're doing. And that comes down to that foundational level of fitness, of Mm -hmm. physical leadership. So it's working out, 
Yeah. It's good nutrition and it's getting adequate sleep. So that's the foundational level. Number two. Hey, hey Jay, let me just pause you there if you don't mind. Just give me an idea of what your nutrition training looks like these days. Just for yourself. So for me, I follow a, uh, I, I, I've tried a couple of different things, but I've settled on a, uh, my nutrition is, I try not to eat any sugar. So it's high protein. Uh, secondary is carbs. Fat is last within my macros. And then, uh, like I said, I try and eat all whole foods. I try and eat organic foods. Uh, I'm going to give a, a plug kettlebell kitchen. You need to, uh, you need to take me on because <laughs> I eat a lot of kettlebell kitchen. It's a great, it's dairy free, it's gluten free. So that's, uh, oh, because cool. I'm on the go all the time. Are those pre-made, f- are those pre-made meals? Yep. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I order them once a week. They come to the house and I just, I'm able to pull them out. And with my lifestyle being on the go, they're phenomenal. Uh, are you a CrossFit so, guy, bodybuilding guy, endurance guy? I am a functional fitness guy. Okay. So I like CrossFit because it pushes me, but I, my body type, if I do CrossFit all the time, I actually end up losing weight. I'm, I'm just, I'm burning too much off. Yeah. So I do a combination. So four, uh, four days a week, I'm doing weight training, but functional weight training. So I'm doing, uh, like today, for instance, it was deadlifts. It was, um, it was leg presses. It was Turkish get-ups. It was jumps. Hmm. So functional fitness uh, all, type things. All the, all the easy ones, eh? Yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> hey, man, if it, you want to you push, right? Yeah, exactly. So I do that. And then my goal is to get uh, six hours of sleep a night. Uh, I know for myself, that's what I need, the minimum I need to really operate well. I can obviously go under that, but I recognize I got to catch up on that. I, there's a lot of guys out there who, um, you know, who are like, you know, sleep is the enemy yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. I'm not a fan of that. I, and, and I know it's not true. Yeah. Uh, your body needs sleep. This machine you walk around in. There are a few genetic freaks out there who can get by on four hours of sleep at mm. night. But if you're living your lifestyle that way, you are chronically mm. um, not operating at optimal efficiency. Yeah. So that's great. So we got physical so phys- development. Yeah. Back to the Pentagon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Physical leadership, mental leadership, mental, yeah. how we build ourselves mentally, how we build our knowledge. And that's with reading. Yeah. That's with life experiences. And that's with pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Uh, it, it's how do I gain knowledge? It's also being smart mm. by gaining knowledge from others who have more experience than you. Mm. So finding those mentors. So for yeah. me, coming to that mastermind group and learning from you and Bedros and all these other guys who are years ahead of me in business, that's increasing my mental leadership. Uh-huh. What was your big takeaway from Empire, by the way? Uh, do a better job of learning how to scale by my business. Mm. Uh, learning how to, um, as Pedro says, time collapse mm. and how quickly you can figure out how to scale things. So mm. for a while there, I was doing a little bit of coaching, but I was doing one-on-one coaching. Mm. It was incredibly time consuming. Mm. And out there I started learning, Hey, you know, you're saying the same thing over and over again. You're yeah. putting out this great content, do it as a group. So that's why I'll be launching the Overcome Army uh, or the Overcome Army will launch and uh, individuals have that group coaching capability. Oh, cool. All right, so uh, mental num- three, yeah. Yep, number three is emotional leadership. Mm-hmm. So how we manage our emotions. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'll tell people right now, this is my toughest one. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has an area of the Pentagon and Peak Performance that they struggle in. Maybe they have two. For me, 
I can be very hot blooded. Mm. Uh, I, I can I can go from zero to a hundred very quickly, and it's very important for me not to do that. It's very important as a leader not to do that. Mm. I feel like a leader should be in control of everything about themselves, mm. including their emotional state. And it's critical because in a in a crazy crisis moment, an ambush moment, if you're losing your mind you are causing everyone around you to lose mm. your mind, right. lose their minds. You, you have to understand that you, uh, in the hardest moments, you have to project positivity because your people that work for you or your family, they're going to look to you as the guide. And if you're negative, if you're freaking out, then guess what? Your family and your workers are going to do the same. Mm. So for me, emotional leadership is a big one. Always being aware of my emotions. If I push myself up into a yellow zone, being able to recognize my yellow zone and, and step away in that moment. Hey, man, you need to take a break from this situation before you go up into red line. Mm. And that, that's an emotional maturity of that emotional leadership that some people don't do. And I'll tell you, I'm not perfect, man. I, <laughs> You, you, a couple months ago, I, I lost my temper and, you know, kind of made myself look like an ass, but I recognize it yeah. and, you know, you can fix it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm working on that too, going from uh, being reactive to responsive. Absolutely. I, I tend to get triggered by um, criticism easily, especially from people that I don't even know. Somebody's helping me with this and they kind of said, because you care too much about what people think, you're, you want to be liked by everybody and I haven't figured out why, but um, I can relate to you on, you know, an emotional uh, leadership level I need to improve on. Yep. A lot of people, that's a weakness. Um, social leadership is how we build our circles of influence around us. Um, from the outer rings, our work relationships to a little bit closer, the acquaintances, uh, to the inner rings of our close friends and then to the center ring, which is our family. And, you know, how much negative influences do you allow in your life? I mean, I loved, it was a big topic for when we were out there at the mastermind, you know, if you surround yourself with negative people or people that are, don't want to go in the same direction you do, they're pulling you away from your purpose. They're pulling you off course. So, <laughs> You wouldn't allow that in the military. We wouldn't allow that. So why do so many people allow it in their life? Hmm. So uh, that's a big one. And then the last one is spiritual leadership. Oh, good. Uh, for me, faith is a part of it. For others, I tell them you just have to get outside of yourself, giving back, gratitude, understanding that you are not the center of the universe and you have the ability to impact a lot of people if you could take a second and maybe meditate, yoga, whatever you need to do to kind of clear your mind and, and see the bigger world beyond. Yeah, that's really good, man. I, I really appreciate all these. I'm glad you added this spiritual one because that's uh, I think there's a big um, thing going on these days where you know people are so depressed because they just they're always focused on themselves. And if you want to look at, uh, if you want to be depressed, look at yourself, you know, um, because it's, it's the fastest way to create anxiety, focus on yourself, but then, you know, flipping everything and, uh, looking at how you can maybe use a challenge you're going through as a blessing to bless someone who's going through the same thing can quickly improve your state. And Hey, this, I'm going through this so that I can help somebody else not to dwell on it. Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is really really good. This is really good. Hey, um, I guess you know, with regards to you know, we've got these five pentagons of leadership, um, and you know, these are basically the areas that men need to win in. Um, 
we talked about leading, you know, improving these areas so you can lead your family, your community, your business. Um, I want to talk about adversity, you, you know, just, um, I think you really nailed it with when you have a purpose, you're able to get through it. I just, just it's, it's something though, I think guys, it's like, yeah, I need adversity, but how? And, and you nailed it on the head. Like if you know where the mission is, if I think um, I hear, I've, I've been reading more military books lately and I, and, and just maybe help me flush this out. Cause from my understanding, like if something, if, if something happens, the mission still goes on and like things still have to move forward despite what you're going through. And, and um, so maybe touch on that, but then also touch on like, how do I get some more clarity on my purpose and what the end destination is? And that way there is a reason to respond and there's a consequence. I think this is the big thing. There's a consequence to not responding. And I'd love for you to bring that to like your own personal situation. Like what would have happened if you stayed in that bed in the hospital? What would have happened if you didn't put that sign up on the door? What would have happened to your family, to your kids, um, to your community? What would have been the cost of saying, you know what, everyone will understand. They've already given me a car. They've already given me a way out. You know, they're yep. already feeling sorry for me. Let, let's go there. So we'll take uh, part one where we talk about the military. Um, I actually did an interview this morning with a very high level senior military leader who we're going to have in the book. I'm not naming names right now, but he was very high up. And one of the things he talked about, we talked about some of the ambushes, not real physical uh, enemy ambushes, uh, although he was in some of those, but more of the ambushes where um, he had lost guys. He had had big missions that had gone wrong and he had lost guys under his command. And those guys were grieving. I mean, warriors, when we lose teammates, we grieve. But the reality is what he talked about is it was his job that even though he grieved, to motivate and inspire them to drive forward because the mission still had to be done. It's an unfortunate part of war that we will lose people. And just because we lost someone doesn't mean that suddenly we're not operating and conducting the mission anymore. The mission still goes on and that unit still has to continue to operate. So if you can translate that into your own life, now if you can figure out what your mission is. So our uh, I'm launching an executive program. I ran the Overcome Academy that was helping wounded warriors. I'm actually creating a civilian Overcome Academy, a very high level executive coaching program. And it is a uh, three month program, one class a week. But we take people on that journey to help them find what their purpose is and to define their individual mission objective, who they are. And then we, we complete it with what I call their life's mission objective. And that is the legacy you're going to leave behind at the end of your life. Vince, I'll tell you what mine is. And I realized it with that sign on the door. My purpose in that moment became, I want to make other people better. Hmm. I want them to walk away from meeting me and interacting with me and listening to this podcast and say, man, Jason Redmond made me better. That's what I want. So Helping people to establish that, to know what your mission is, mm. and to know what your life's mission objective is, you now know exactly where you want to go, yeah. where you know where to put your compass on. So when things get hard, like when I was laying in that bed, if I hadn't gotten out, I would not have accomplished that. Huh. Nobody would know, no one would know who Jason Redman is. Huh. I would not be making anybody better. My kids would not look at me with respect. My kids would not. 
I would not have set the example for them. And at the end of the day, that's all leadership is. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. So, so you got to get clear on like, if you don't stay the course, I mean, in your world, men are going to literally die. But then if you actually in real life, your wife is going to die. She's going to have to now carry a burden that she was never meant to carry by herself. Your kids are going to, you know, now have to figure out life without a father figure. Their kid, your daughter is not going to see a father or what, what a man should operate like so that she can choose the right um, husband perhaps one day. Vince, it gets even worse. I mean, it's not just them that are dying. It's you. You may not be physically dying, but I watch so many people who are alive, but they're just walking through life dead. They they had some life ambush happen and they never came back from it. Hmm. And, And what happens if they refuse to lead themselves off the X, you're right. The other people around them die too. Because they're on the X with you. So your wife, your family, your friends, you're pulling all of them down by your inability and your unwillingness to identify where I need to go and get off that X. And it's sad. I watch so many people that live their lives that way. They've had some major catastrophic event and they're so focused on what they lost and their misery and their pain that they're not willing to look forward to the future. All they can look at is the past. Huh. And, and, and we can't go back and change the past, man. It's behind us. All we can do is shape our future. And, and huh. that is how you have to lead yourself out. And guess what? You're going to pull them along with you because they don't want to be on the X. You're holding them to the X. Wow. That's, that's deep. And, and I love that maybe this would be a great time to kind of transition to, you know, talking about expectations because I, I think something, um, you know, I actually just heard from our pastor, Stephen Furtick, and he, he talks a lot about how um, people, you know, go through life with the whole, I thought this was going to happen and they have an expectation of how life should be. And um, really the way we grow is by God not meeting our expectations, uh, but, you know, allowing him to exceed them and, to allow him to um, exceed them so that we can overcome that disappointment and um, trusting that he will fulfill a bigger promise and purpose in our life. Um, and maybe some people don't have that belief, but like, how do you, you know, maybe just help somebody who of all of a sudden life didn't go as expected. You know, life was supposed to go this way and it didn't. And their expectations have been, disappointed, but you know, how do we reframe this for someone? So the biggest thing is, is part of the overcome mindset is understanding that with any adversity that you encounter in your life, whether it's gigantic, you know, just earth shattering, catastrophic as if you were to lose a child. Uh Um, And I have not lost a child, so I cannot, I cannot empathize with someone out there, but having children, I can't even imagine how hard that would be. Um, but, but, or it's a lower level, you know, divorce relationship, whatever it is, we have to get that person to understand how we can at least move off that initial point mm-hmm. of impact. Um, if we can at least get them to move forward and, and start looking at there is a future after this, uh-huh. it's going to be hard. After we do that, now we reassess where they are. And now if they can understand that out of this catastrophic event, there could be an opportunity. 
an opportunity that they can help others. So a perfect example, I've seen families that have lost a child who later went on to create amazing nonprofit organizations focused on uh, helping other families that have lost a child through this devastating grief. So what was a catastrophic event suddenly became this amazing opportunity and this new purpose. That's what people need to look for. Out of Mm -hmm. adversity, Mm -hmm. so often comes opportunity. And it's there if you're willing to look for it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely gold. Um, There's um, a quote our pastor shared recently, and it says, um, God uses disappointment to grow your faith, and the devil uses it to destroy your faith. It depends what you do with it. And that's yep. that's what you're saying. True statement. You're looking. Yeah. You're, you're taking the situation, and you're now looking at it from the opportunity standpoint. And I mean, that takes a lot of maturity. I'm just kind of curious. Like, how do you develop that? Is that you can't? You just got to be thrown in the situation, like and and you're you know you're you're forged in the fire kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's not you, there's not really a book you can read to prepare you for this, right? Or you know what I mean? Well. I, I, I'm writing that book yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, is there a way, yeah. to, but is there like a, tr- like, there's not really a training course. Like you can train for, you can put yourself in tough situations, but like sometimes it, life is God's best teacher. It's, it, it's the, it's the only way you actually build the muscle when life throws you something it, it, like this. Yeah. What do you yes, think? I will agree with that. But you absolutely can build the muscle. Let's talk. About and that. how do we do that? Is we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. Yes. So, and it goes back to you know that Pentagon and peak performance. If you have placed yourself in uncomfortable situations in all five of those areas, it it makes you grow. Mm. We grow through adversity. We get better. So I, that's why I love, you know, the physical level workouts are an amazing way to get people out of their comfort zone because we are able to push ourselves in a healthy way. It's uncomfortable. We're breathing hard. Our muscles are burning. It hurts a little bit, but it's good for us. It is a good discomfort where growth occurs. Mm. Um, you place yourself in situations. Maybe you're afraid of public speaking. So you go join Toastmasters and you get in front of a crowd and speak, even though it terrorizes you. It makes you grow. It makes you uh, put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. If you do these things constantly, by the time you encounter some major catastrophic event, it's not, it's still going to be a catastrophic event. It's going to be unexpected. But you have built a little bit of resiliency into yourself. You have been through uncomfortable situations, much more so than an individual that has never planned, they've never put their self, they've lived in their comfort zone their whole life, and then they have this catastrophic life ambush occur, they're, they're starting from ground zero. And it is almost impossible to turn it on in that moment. Wow. Some people do, but it's almost impossible. Hey, this is this is genius. Like this, um, Just so, so powerful what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I really like looked into this like from a, a business standpoint, and I preach this. Um, not as a tactic to get someone to sign up for my coaching, but as the God's honest truth, I tell people that, you know, if you don't want to be in a risky situation financially down the road, you have to intentionally create risks for yourself right now. And, um, you know, you want to be the person who's creating the pressure and not getting put into the pressure situation. And it's because you're intentionally going into situations where, you're going to be tested. You know, my goal is to speak, um, you know, at an event with, you know, thousands of people one day, but that's never going to happen if I don't start stepping on stages with 50 people in the audience or a hundred people in the audience. So um, 
I think this is like you just just kind of take us home with like a one liner there. Like you've got to put yourself out there, or else how do you expect to actually get better? Like this is this is the point of life. You're never going to get better unless you get tested. So this is something I call the pyramid of change, Mm. and how we implement long term change. There's four levels to the pyramid. The bottom level is no effort. The top level is just burnout, and you can't sustain it. The middle two levels. Uh, are your comfort zone and the zone of discomfort. Growth occurs in the zone of discomfort. You can't live there all the time though. So what you have to do is you have to identify those goals and you say, this is going to be my goal. Vince, you could say this year, I'm going to speak on 10 stages. You know, that's my goal. We'll just hypothetically say that. And, And what happens is you're going to get up into your zone of discomfort. And by the time you get to the 10th one, you're now comfortable. It's become your comfort zone. So now we set the step again. Okay, well, now I'm going to speak 25 times, whatever it is. So it's an infinite loop between the comfort zone and the zone of discomfort. You set that goal, you get uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable, and then you reset and set the next goal, phasing back and forth between the comfort zone and the zone of discomfort. That's how you build an overcome mindset. That's what elite performers do. That's how they maintain this high elite level of success. Man, I love it. I, I actually didn't know that model. You had that on the pyramid of change. You had that all framed out. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I like how you have the burnout section though, like on the continuum because, yeah, most guys are all gas pedal and they crash the car. I'm, <laughs> I'm guilty, man. I am guilty. I was doing it for years and realized I could not sustain it. Huh. Hey, hey, are you ready to kind of pivot to an interesting, fun conversation um, around just, you know, marriage, kids? And uh, I think I, the kids piece is really interesting for me because I got three young ones, a five-year-old, three-year-old, and a six-month-year-old. And and I, I would just love to know, uh, you know, what are some of the tools, you know, some of the ear, irreducible absolute minimums for your kids to be fully functional humans you know there's so many philosophies out there these days and and you know without overwhelming uh you know our kids with idealism and stuff um, what are just some like legitimate tools we can be giving our kids um to like overcome things that seem so rampant today like anxiety and comparison syndrome and depression and uh maybe i'd love for you to speak to the trouble we're experiencing with boys like i, I don't know about you but i feel like women are rising up more than men today and just from my coaching program I've seen all these women come into my coaching program they seem like so ambitious and and I'm even seeing them like lift the weight in a relationship where the man's not stepping up in and I know there's a lot of questions here but like you know what's going on here like are we doing too much for our kids are we you know yes are we I'll let you take it oh yeah are we are we like (laughs) are we not allowing them to suffer are we crippling them like what what's why are our boys not turning into men and then let's come back to like the tools you're giving your kids to thrive in this society today yeah I mean it's just uh we have transitioned from a society that you know I mean just think of the the evolution and and uh, I'll just use America as the example. So we're a very young country. I mean, you know, we've been in existence now for 243 years. That's a really short period of time on the grand spectrum of life. And if you go back to the beginning of those 243 years, I'd even say for the first 150, 170 years, life was hard. Like physical labor was the norm. Kids grew up having to do hard physical labor uh, at a very young age. Fast forward over the last 50, 75 years, we've reached this technological boom. Uh, Hard labor no longer happens. 
and and there's been this I don't know mind transition where parents are hovering they you know they call them helicopter parents and oh, you know trying that. to dictate every decision that their kids make <laughs> and protect parents. them yeah you that that's what they call them these parents that you know follow their you know they go into yeah. the school and like fight their kids bullies and huh. things like that and uh, the, the, the bottom line is we are not allowing our kids to navigate their own problems. We're not allowing kids to suffer. We're not allowing kids to fail. We're not allowing boys to be boys, to get out. If they have a disagreement, let them go outside and fight it out. Huh. You know, we've reached a little bit of a dangerous time. There's a flip side of that coin where, you know, we got whack jobs out there who'll go grab a gun and they'll just shoot you instead of, you know, a little bit of honorable just fighting because you learn. My best friend, when I was younger in middle school, I transitioned to this school and uh, it's the first or second day and we got into an argument, this kid and I, and we got into a fight and then we ended up becoming best friends. But, you know, letting boys, boys are physical. Let them be physical. Let them go do physical things. You know, there's this thing right now where, oh, my God, don't let kids play with guns, you know, toy guns or things like that. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, as long as they're taught to respect Mm. um, life and the Mm. sanctity of life. And they need to learn some of these things on their own. Here's the number one thing. What is our job as a parent? Our job as a parent is to prepare our kids to be successful adults when they leave home. What do they need to do that? Well, they need to figure out how to make decisions on their own. And guess what? They're going to make some bad decisions. But if you step in every single time they're moving down the path of making a bad decision, then they're never going to know. They're never going to learn. They're going to be out in the real world and it'll be the first time they fail or make a bad decision And now they're trying to figure it out on their own. I I told my daughter this. My daughter went through a phase. uh, Thankfully, my son did it. My son is older. But my daughter went through a phase where she kind of lost her mind. And she was making some really bad decisions. Mm -hmm. And I told her during that phase, I said, listen, baby, when you were uh, a baby, it was my job to keep you from killing yourself by, you know, falling out of a second story window or sticking a nail in a light socket. So we would do things to baby proof the house and we watch you constantly because you didn't have the ability to do that, you know, protect yourself. I said, as you get older as a parent, it's my job to protect you from doing things that'll create long-term damage. I want you to get out there and do things and learn and have freedom to explore because someday shortly, you're going to be out on your own and you're going to have to do those things on your own. Mm. But I need to provide enough structure and guidance and guidelines that you can still get out there and explore and learn things without doing long-term damage. That's your job as a parent. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, the biggest thing you can do is how you carry yourself. Once again, it comes back to how you lead yourself. If you as a parent are a train wreck, I got bad news. Mm. Your kids are going to be train wrecks. Mm. Wow, we, yeah, that, that's it's back to your leadership. You got to lead yourself first. Uh, that, that's really good. Do you have any more like practical advice? Uh, you know, maybe for some of our younger fathers with younger kids, you know, who are kind of feeling the strains of providing and leading and uh, the weight of the responsibilities. And then, of course, your wife, rightfully so, has expectations as you as a husband, not just to be a provider, but to meet her needs. And yeah, just maybe some. Uh, 
just some wisdom for all the younger guys in the early 30s and late 20s who are trying to—they they have the intent to do this thing well, but they need—they need somebody who's been there and and, and uh, kind of tell me about some of the waves coming my way that I need to be prepared for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So with with your wife, you know, your wife is the more—I—I I call her the most important teammate you'll ever have, mm. and and. You know, I am very fortunate. You know, some of this has to do with choose wisely. Uh, I think, think unfortunately, some people end up getting married because of the physical attraction when there's not a lot of substance to the relation, the true relationship and friendship Mm. that a marriage needs to have. Mm. I'm very fortunate that my wife, we had both Mm. and, and it made for a very strong marriage. I really love hanging out with my wife. She's my business partner. She's my best friend. She's my confidant. And, uh, and my lover, all those things. The, the, but you have to make time for that. I watch individuals that it's almost like their marriage is a secondary string, like them going out and their business is first and their, um, their friends are second and their family is like, you know, lower on the tier. And I'm like, hey, man, you, you got to put that first, because guess what? After the business is gone, I mean, maybe you'll still have those friends. But at the end of the day, you, that family should last you your entire lifetime. And when you have major ambushes that come along, it's going to be your family that's there in that moment. Mm. So you better take care of it and nurture it. When, when it comes to your kids, it's communication. Um, you, uh, there are some parents that make the mistake that they want to be their kids. They want to be like a best friend Mm. with their kids. Mm. Your kids don't need a best friend. Mm. What they need is a leader. Amen. Someone that gives them right and left limits and says, Hey, you know, this is how this is done. It starts with them and how they care themselves. But you know, we lay out, Hey, this is what we're doing, giving them a little room to explore. But then at the end of the day, being able to communicate when my daughter was making those mistakes, I wanted her to communicate with me. Um, I could have dropped the hammer and I could have said, you're grounded for the rest of your life and all this other stuff that I had other parents give me advice to. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, because I know that if I, if I push her away so hard and, you know, ground her forever, you know, she's going to rebel and not want to talk to me. And what I want is communication. I want to, A, be able to tell you why these things are not good decisions, Mm. and B, I want you to tell me why you made that decision. Mm. So that's really important. And and the last thing with communication, and I learned this lesson, for all you guys out there that have young daughters, Mm. um, I made the mistake. I One, I underestimated, you know, I don't, I don't see myself as an intimidating person, mm. although my daughters tell you, oh, my God, my friends are scared to death of you. <laughs> um, and I guess I, yeah. I had to take it took me a couple of years to really kind of realize, OK, yeah, I guess, you know, with my background and everything I've done, I can see that. But I used to really kind of lay on thick with uh, guy friends that she would talk to. And it would get to the point that she wanted she wouldn't she wouldn't want to bring any guy friends Uh, ever to meet me because I had, you know, because I was kind of pushing on this sealed mindset thing. So I I pulled back from that because I want my daughter to be comfortable with me and and to bring people she meets to me because I want to be able to meet them. I want to know who they are. And if I'm, 
you know, over the top, you know, jerk, seal, super aggressive, yeah. that's not going to happen. So guys, be careful of that mindset. You know, it's fun and it's funny, but if you're not careful, your daughter won't ever bring you anybody, you know, she'll try and hide the people she dates because she's scared of introducing them to you. I gotcha. That's great. I appreciate that advice. Yeah. Cause there's always yeah. that, like, maybe I should take this guy out for a drive before he takes my daughter out for a drive. <laughs> yep. But you want to, yep. maybe we want to be able to know if I do do that, she's going to be fine. Okay. I don't just be nice. Make sure he comes back and I trust you have that trust, have that trust there. Exactly. Yeah. With, with them. I mean, you can voice your opinion. I mean, like I said, my daughter has, she made some decisions I didn't agree with. And I told her, I said, I don't agree with that. And this is why, mm-hmm. uh, but I needed to let her figure it out. Gotcha. I could have just said, yeah, no, you're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, but if I knew it wasn't going to, you know, she wasn't going to end up in jail mm-hmm. or, you know, dead or something like that, you know, those horrific things, then I wanted to let her figure it out. And what was great is she came back to me later and was like, you know, you're right, dad. So yeah, that's, winning. That's awesome. <laughs> I got two awesome. Uh, I got two questions here just to wrap up. We're going to talk about your book, your upcoming book in a second. But um, I think um, something I just want to, I didn't even put this question in our, in our, um, our notes here. I'm, I'm curious to know, like, what's your just um, simple and um, simple advice on, I think you know, what I'm noticing is like, I'm sometimes guilty of this. I'm going to be really transparent. Sometimes you showcase your family on your Instagram page as like, Hey, look, I'm a family man. And, um, you know, I, I post a photo of, uh, you know, the family while I was doing it. My daughter was pulling on my leg for my attention showing, look, I'm a family man yet here. So what's really happening behind the scenes. And, uh, I think with, Instagram, you can fake and you can put something out there that's not really real. And one of the things I'm striving towards is not just having a family, but being a family. And I want to know, how do you be a family? You know, you be a family by doing things with your family that you enjoy. I mean, you make time for your family. I mean, myself and the long-haired admiral, Mm. we're going out tonight. Mm. You know, we're talking about where we're going to go. you look for opportunities. I travel a lot. So I look for opportunities. When can I do something with my kids? When are good opportunities? I, I talk about balance. And I think this was something we talked about in the mastermind. Balance is not perfect. Hmm. It's not like we're perfectly balanced at all the times. We're sometimes going to be, we're going to have to put focus on one area more than another, just because the current situation dictates it. Hmm. But that's okay. As long as we know we got to go back, it's not a permanent thing. We need to go back and apply balance in the other areas. Your family's one of those, although you need to make sure there's a lot more time going into that balance. So for me, next week, I've got to go to Colorado. Our big, our family loves to ski. And every year we take at least one, if not, if we can, we like to take two ski vacations and, and it's just a time for the whole family to be together. So next week I got to go speak in Colorado. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take my youngest daughter on this trip. I look cool. for opportunities, take them with me. So I'm pulling her out of school for a few days. She's straight A student. She's good. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> I'm going to go on this trip. I'm going to speak, but I'm going to have all this time with my daughter. So you've got to make the, you got to make that time for your family. You know, I you have it. to think about it. That's how, 
That's how you become a family. And that's going to get harder as they get older and they become teenagers. They want to do their own thing. So you still got it. That's why I love when we do our ski vacations, because the kids are still excited. They want to go and we're hanging out and we're together. I have, I just, have, that's great, man. I appreciate that a lot. Like simple, practical, intentional advice. Thank you. Uh, just one more p- curious question. Do all the, like the military guys, there seems to be like, you know, a lot of military guys rising on the social media. Like, do you guys have like, uh, you know, barbecues? Are you guys all like hang out and talk to each other? There's like, you guys are on the rise. A lot of you guys are, you know, now sharing what you learned in the battlefield and bringing it to the business world. And are you buddies with some of these guys at like Cottrell and Jocko? Like, is there like a group of you guys that, you know, hang and talk or you just know of each other from like the same world? I'm just kind of curious how that all works. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely friends with those guys. I mean, we don't hang out together. I mean, we're all spread across the country, uh-huh. um, but I, we support each other. I mean, I was on Jocko's podcast recently. Uh, Jocko contributed to my book. I mean, I'll do anything for those guys. I mean, if they say, hey, I need help, I'll be there for them. Um, I obviously want to help uh, military for those of you out there, my new Overcome Army Uh, So if you are a first responder, law enforcement or military, uh, active duty or veteran, uh, the cost is 50 percent off. Mm, Cool. So I want to be able to take care of those guys. And uh, and those, you know, the thing is, the military teaches you some amazing lessons and those lessons are relatable on uh, in business, Um, because at the end of the day, Leadership is leadership. Teamwork is teamwork. Overcoming adversity is overcoming adversity. It doesn't matter if it happens in a battle, in an ambush, or if it happens in your business or at home. The principles are still the same. And I think right now, just you can take some amazing stories like my ambush story and make that relatable and people can go, oh, wow, if that guy was able to lead through this vicious ambush, I should be able to lead my business. Yeah. That's awesome. You guys are all on new missions now. <laughs> that's right. New purpose, man. New Mine to make people better. I love it. Hey, that's a great place to end. Uh, Jay, thank you so much, man. I'm pumped to uh, link up again and get this podcast out there. And uh, I'm super, super grateful for you. So where can people learn more about what you're doing, connect with you, uh, tap into uh, your different channels, websites, tell them about your upcoming book. And we'll put this all in the show notes as well. Yeah, Vince. Thank you, man. So uh, they can find me at jasonredmond.com. That is my website, and that's where they can find my coaching. That's where they can book me to speak for speaking events. Uh, My new book, Overcome, Crush Adversity with Leadership Techniques from America's Toughest Warriors, Mm. uh, will come out December 10th. And it is an amazing book about how to survive life ambushes, how to prepare for life ambushes, how to lead yourself, lead others, and lead always. And we get deep into the Pentagon of Peak Performance. On social media, you can find me on Instagram at Jason Redmond WW. Uh, Twitter is Jason Redmond WW. And Facebook, my public page, is Jason Redmond. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, that's fantastic. Say, listen, everybody, now it's time for us to bless someone that you're thinking of right now. Who are you thinking of right now that would love this episode? I know you're thinking of at least one person, and you're welcome to blast this out on social media, but uh, let's set, let's set uh, a standard to reach out to one person, commit to being a go-giver today, and hook someone up by tagging me and Jason and just drop a memorable note, uh, a quote, one-liner, something that was shared, and uh, put that on social media. Tag us, and uh, we'll both likely um, 
retag it or repost it to give you some exposure as well. And um, there's a good chance, um, uh, you know, one day we'll meet maybe and we'll remember that and be very grateful for you. So, hey, super simple way to, uh, you know, get on our radar and to bless somebody else at the same time. So I want to thank you all once again for listening, for sharing. And on behalf of Jay and I, have a positive, have a purposeful and a productive day.